Let's take our Bible back to Philemon. As I told the folks on Wednesday, uh, if you are paying attention, you may uh, see what looked planned, but it wasn't planned, but uh, it looks like a beautiful uh, object lesson of what we finished talking about in Matthew 18. And so you may uh, want to flip back over there and refresh yourself as to how it applies to uh, what we're going to look at this morning, just simply called the gospel in action. I don't ever think I am exhaustive in what I, what I cover, and so there will be things that uh, you may even see that, that just don't get covered for sake of time, and um, my goal is to try to, at the very least, uh, identify the main purpose of the letter or whatever the text is that we are reading, and so invite you to follow along in your Bibles and use the notes and write down things as you see them and give yourself a chance to remember later on what we talk about in this time so that hopefully you can go back and glean even further uh, truth from this. When I was a kid, maybe you're like this, maybe you're not a kid and you're still like this, but getting a letter in the mail was one of the most exciting parts of my day. It rarely happened, but when it did, it was one of the most exciting parts of my day. You know, special days like birthdays or, or Christmas. Uh, when I graduated from high school, I, I would, I would kind of wait by the mailbox and wait for the mailman to come, hoping and really expecting uh, that much of what would be in the mailbox that day was addressed to me. But then even better than getting a letter on my birthday or on Christmas time was one of those unexpected letters. One that had no particular reason, uh, or at least one that was obvious to me, getting this unexpected letter. And I would, I would wonder, you know, what's this, what's this all about? Who's it from? What, what, do they, what do they want to tell me? What do they write? And, and most importantly, is there any money in this card? Do you, do you check cards like I do when I was a kid? You tear open the card and you open it like this? And you're like, oh, okay, I guess I'll look at what they have to say. But uh, the, the, I noticed that my kids do that. I didn't even teach them that. But uh, that's, that's uh, my sinful nature, I guess. But we, we inspect these envelopes, especially when we know that they're safe to open. They're not from the IRS. They're not a bill. We inspect these envelopes to find out who is it from. Uh, we want to we know what that person might have had to say to us. Sometimes I would immediately open the letter. I'd, I'd tear it open and, and read it uh, right away. But then other times I would purposefully wait just to prolong that feeling, that anticipation, that excitement just a little bit longer. You remember getting a letter from your significant other? Maybe it was at the time it was a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Maybe your spouse still writes you letters, but do you remember getting that love letter? And that love letter would communicate uh, all kinds of feelings and thoughts that, uh, that she had for you or that he had for you. Seeing that envelope come, when I was in college, there was a, there was a little place where all of the, the girls would leave a note or a card for their boyfriend in this little spot in the, in the entryway. And, and uh, it, was, it, was, it was a big uh, thoroughfare. And every time you walked by, 
if you had a girl, you were looking to see if there was something for you. And what a night uh, if you walked by after a, after a day of work and you saw your name on a card and it was all done up and, and fancy and, and pretty and, and how disappointing it was when there wasn't anything there. Or when one girl just went way over the top and there was a gift bag and, and balloons and cookies and you had a card. Of course, my girlfriend always did the best things, and so I married her. But um, unfortunately, not all the cards that we get from that significant other are good news. And I think most of us know what a Dear John letter is. Hopefully, you've never gotten one. But if you do, you know uh, it's a bad day when you get a Dear John letter or a Dear Jane letter and someone's breaking up with you. But letters can ex, uh, express both good news and bad. Maybe you've received a letter in the mail from the doctor with a bad report on some tests that were run. Maybe it was uh, from a company that you've worked for for many years informing you that your services are no longer required. They have found uh, another way to go and you're suddenly out of a job. And in those cases... What started off as a pretty good day instantly becomes very different. Could be instantly better, you just won Publishers Clearinghouse, or instantly worse, it's cancer. Everything was going fine until you read that letter, and now nothing will be the same again. That's the kind of letter that Philemon is. It's not a breakup letter, it's not a pink slip. But it delivers news that it will shake this man we know as Philemon. And not only will it affect this man, it will have devastating effects, or could have devastating effects, on many others who are connected to him. Specifically, the people that Paul addresses at the very beginning of his letter. And if you look at verse number two, I'm sorry, verse number, uh, uh, well, verse number one B, if you will. To Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Think about all of the different people that Paul is intending to, to uh, write to in this letter. Not just the letter to Philemon. It's the letter to Philemon, and Aphia, and Archippus, and everybody that was in this house church. To get a little a bit of a backstory as to what's going on before we read the letter, because this, this was a letter that would have been delivered uh, with a backstory already set up. And so it's helpful for us to make sure that we understand what's going on before we try to dive in and understand what Paul is writing to him about. Philemon was very probably a wealthy man and living in Colossae. There are differing opinions on where he lived, and it really doesn't make a whole lot of difference, I don't think, but... Uh, for our for our purposes this morning, uh, we'll say he, he lived in Colossae. Uh, and through Paul's missionary efforts, uh, Philemon had become a Christian. He had become a follower of Jesus and became very involved in the local church that is presumably in Colossae here. It says even there that he had uh, offered his own home to be the church, the meeting place for this group of believers where they would meet. So, uh, I'm assuming that he's got uh, quite a, a, a decent-sized house that he's able to uh, host the, the, the people that are coming. We don't know how big the church was. We don't know how big the house was. But it makes at least guess that he might have had some 
some means to him. And as we read about Philemon, as we'll look at and see a little bit, he was very invested in the lives of, the, of his brothers and sisters of this church. He wasn't, he wasn't on the fringe. He wasn't just on the outside looking in. He didn't just offer them a place to stay. He was invested. He was involved. But at some point in Philemon's personal life, his slave, Onesimus, had run away. Many, many scholars believe that as he, when he ran away, he took some money with him or maybe some valuables from Philemon's household. And it's thought that Philemon ran away to Rome, where it is assumed that Paul is writing this letter. Philemon was certainly put out by this, uh, but over time, I imagine he has uh, been able to recover the loss. He's been able to move on in some way or another. And life is going okay. But now, he's holding this letter from the beloved Apostle Paul. He knows Paul. Paul knows him. And he may even be standing, it may even be that Onesimus, that runaway slave, is standing before him delivering this letter to him. Certainly there's memories being brought up, there's emotions rising to the surface, maybe anger, grief, mixed with confusion. What in the world is going on right now? Why is Onesimus back? What does Paul have to say and why is Onesimus carrying a letter from Paul. And what we see in the book of Philemon is how Philemon's Christianity is going to be put to the test in a brand new way. He's already a believer and he's already proven uh, his love for the saints and his faith towards Jesus, but this letter will prove it in a much different way, in a maybe much more exaggerated way than ever before. The contents of Paul's letter are going to challenge his discipleship, and his response to this letter, which interestingly, we don't have. But however Philemon responds to this is not only going to affect Onesimus, the slave, it will affect Philemon, it will affect his family, and it will most certainly affect his church. Because it's one thing to believe in things like grace and brotherly love and forgiveness and restoration, that Christ sets us free, that He reconciles us not only to God, but to each other. It's one thing to believe these things and to say these things. It's another thing altogether to put them into practice. Philemon's actions now are going to be displayed in front of his neighbors, in front of his co-workers, in front of his church, in front of the unbelieving community that is around him. This letter involves more than just one man. This letter involves a host of people. And in a sense, Paul is, is the message behind Paul's letter is, Philemon, I know you've learned a lot. I know you have grown a lot. You've gained a lot of knowledge. But here's a situation that will really test the integrity of your discipleship. Now, if you're following along in the in the bulletin, the outline provided, I tried to divide it up a little bit uh, just so you can see the breaking points of them. And we're not going to cover each of them, uh, but in two in two main points will be the bulk of what we talk about. But we see beginning in verse one, verses one and two is just the greeting. We don't know who Aphia is. Some would uh, assume that it's his wife, um, Archippus. 
uh, could have been his son. Some might think it would be the pastor of this church. Archippus is mentioned, if you want to look at it later on, in Colossians 4.17, he's referenced there. And then, of course, we have this, this uh, house church in Philemon's home. And as I immediately read this, my first thought was, why are all of these other people included in the address line? And then it, that's why, that's why I, I, I wanted to make clear to you as we begin, because I think that it will affect all of these people. I think that this is more than just personal correspondence between Paul and Philemon. Uh, I think that this letter is to be read, and it has continued to be read down through the centuries uh, for, for, for all of church history to, to have. But specifically, this first century Colossian church, it's going to have dramatic effects on them. And so he includes them in this letter. And then verse number 3, we see a blessing. Uh, Verse number 3 says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul does this a lot in his writings, and it sounds a lot like this. Grace and peace to you, or at at the very end of his letter, he says the same thing in so many words, the grace uh, be with your spirit. And these are not just words. This is not just Paul getting a running start into his letter. He's not just trying to fill up space. But really, this is a, this is a prayer. This is a desire that Paul has. And as, uh, as I, as I, as I go through this letter, is desiring the very things that are going to be necessary for Philemon to respond well. Philemon needs grace and peace. And so Paul wishes it for him. One writer says that Paul is a hearty well-wisher to all his friends and wishes for them the best things, not gold, nor silver, nor any earthly good in the first or chief place, but grace and peace from God in Christ. He cannot give them himself, but he prays for them from him who can bestow them. And that's what Paul desires for Philemon to have and for Aphia and for the whole church uh, to have grace and peace. I find it interesting that he bookends his letter with a, with a well wish for grace in verse number 3 and then in verse number 25. We need grace. But then we get to the first section uh, that really has the meat of his letter, and that's the prayer in verses 4 to 7. And he says, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and the faith that you have to the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. There's a lot he says there. Even verse number 6, which is maybe the, the, the key verse in the whole letter, is just full of, of teaching and truth. But Paul is praying for Philemon and specifically giving thanks for Philemon. And he says why he's giving thanks uh, for Philemon. He says it's because of the love and the faith that you have. And he says, not, 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 not just generic love and faith, but he says love and faith towards Christ and toward the saints. I learned this. I had not realized this before, but it makes a lot of sense as I, as I continue to study now. If we read Paul's letters, we find the prayers that he begins his letters with often contain the, the elements of whatever he's going to be writing about. He's, he's talking about love and faith, and those are the things that Paul is going to address in his letter, Paul gives thanks because he has seen a pattern in, in Philemon's life of love and faith toward Christ and his saints. But his prayer is that Philemon's participation in the faith or the sharing in faith is going to deepen his understandings about the implications 
of that faith. Verse number six, very confusing verse. I've, I've spent five or six days working it and tearing it down and, and trying to understand it and make it, make it, uh, put it into, into a way that, that is easy for us to, to recognize and understand. But let me try to, to break it a little apart a little bit and help you to see that. In verse number six, when he says, I pray that the sharing of your faith, that word sharing there is the word that you may recognize, koinonia. It's the word that is often used for fellowship or, uh, as, as it's translated here, sharing, or it might be communion, or you might see it as partnership or something like that. When Paul is talking about koinonia here, uh, he's, he's praying that this koinonia will be effective to do something, that the fellowship that he has will be effective. But it's important that we don't think about fellowship in terms of let's go downstairs and eat. We do that quite often. But that's not what Paul has in mind, that the regular gathering and breaking bread together will be effective. Not, uh, also, he is not saying that this sharing idea means parceling out, as, 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 as some might, might, might think it means to share your faith as Paul goes and evangelizes, that this evangelizing might become effective. He's not, he's not talking about evangelism here. He's talking about something a little bit deeper. Uh, one writer, and I, 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 I kind of lean on different people's explanations of it to, to take uh, several different explanations and try to uh, derive a, a simple meaning from different people's uh, attempts at explaining it. Uh, Richard Mellick, he wrote, Paul's words depend on the deepest meaning of fellowship. Christians not only belong to one another, but actually become mutually identified, truly rejoicing with the happy and genuinely weeping with the sad. Philemon's participation in the faith would mean that he participated in the good things that promoted the cause of Christ. In other words, Paul prayed Philemon would use this knowledge to work out the implications of his faith in the matter of Ones with Onesimus. So there was this, this, this sharing of the faith, and maybe a, a, a helpful way to remember it is his mutual participation in faith, his participation within the body. Philemon I pray that your belonging, and not just the belonging in the family of God, but your participation within the family of God will become effective. How will it become effective? How does Paul want his participation to become effective? He says that it will deepen your understanding. Deepen your understanding about what? Your understanding about every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. Specifically here, Paul is praying that Philemon's participation in the faith would deepen and fill his understanding enough to recognize his Christian duties and obligations to his new brother Onesimus. When Onesimus left Philemon, he was an unsaved man. But now he stands before him, as Paul will explain in just a few verses, now he's a believer. He's been converted. He's a Christian. He's a brother, just like Philemon is just like Paul is, and Paul wants Philemon to recognize, I, I'm praying that as you grow in faith, it will work itself out in such a way that you will respond correctly to this young man, Onesimus. Philemon has already shown that the gospel has impacted his life. He's already proven that by the love that he shows to the family of God and faith towards Christ. You know, in verse number seven there, it says that he refreshed the hearts of the saints, meaning that he had given relief to those who really needed it. Think about a church in those days that persecution would have been uh, pretty much a normal thing. And, and Philemon was known as one who refreshed, gave them rest, gave them relief. And this gives Paul great joy to hear about. 
But now this testimony, this refreshing ministry that Philemon has must be extended to even more difficult people, namely this man Onesimus. He says, you have loved the family of God. Now show grace to Onesimus for the exact reason. Later on, he'll use the same idea in verse 20 of refreshing. He'll say, you've refreshed the other saints. Now refresh me. Then look at verses 8 to 21, and this is the request, and we must hasten if we're going to try to finish the, through this, this uh, section here. Uh, we see I've kind of divided it up into uh, one word uh, identifiers here, and we see an appeal. Uh, verses uh, 8 through 14 is an appeal to a brother for a brother. He says, Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer, I prefer to appeal to you. So now Paul is really getting to the matter about what he's writing. Philemon, I've kind of buttered you up. I've kind of introduced everything. I've kind of gotten you in the frame of mind I want you to be in. So now I can deliver the message that I have for you. And it is an appeal. And he says, I could make you do this. I could command you to do this as an apostle of Christ because it is the right thing to do. But he says, I choose to persuade you so that you will do what is right because it is right. Not because you're forced to do what is right. And he says, I'm asking as an old man. I'm asking as a prisoner for the work of Christ. And he wants Philemon not just to do the right thing, but to want to do the right thing. And so he, he says, I appeal to you. And not because Paul says so, but because of the gospel that makes it possible to do so. See, Philemon wasn't obligated under the laws of Rome, to welcome Onesimus back. In certain areas in the Roman Empire, it would have been completely fine for a runaway slave to be killed if he was caught. And this is a real fear for Onesimus to come back. This wasn't a, a guarantee, Philemon's going to welcome me back. I'm sure there was some, there's some angst there. What's he going to say when I walk through those doors? How's he going to respond? I know he's a Christian, but what is that going to translate into for me? What does he think? What has he heard? How mad is he? And here, here uh, Paul says, I, I, I want you to, to, to welcome him, not because the law tells you to, but because grace, but because the gospel allows you to. Philemon would be showing in this response if his Christianity was real and how loving and how gracious and how forgiving the Christian community is to be. And so he appeals on behalf of Onesimus, this runaway slave, who had recently been converted under the, the sovereign hand of God. Philemon, or Onesimus runs into Paul, the, the apostle who is imprisoned. And so uh, we don't know how they met, but they met and he became, uh, as Paul calls him, a son in the faith. And Paul became his spiritual father. And he says there in verse 11, at one time, Philemon was useless. He's, he's kind of a play on words there because the word Onesimus means useful. He was supposed to be useful, but he's not. He was useless. And, and, and Philemon is, 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 maybe he's just, he's kind of written it off as a loss because he wasn't a good servant anyways. But now Paul is saying, I know he used to be a bum. He used to be useless, but now he's useful. He's useful not just to me. He's going to be useful to you. He will be 
really helpful, really beneficial. And so here's an appeal to a brother, for a brother. But then in verse 15, we see the opportunity then to receive a brother. Paul is sending him back now. And, he's, and, he's, and he says in verse 14, I wanted to keep him for myself because he's been so helpful to me. And he would have been, he, he would continue to be helpful to me in the ministry. Uh, in Colossians, it talks about how that he accompanied, uh, I think it's Tychicus, uh, in, in delivering the letter to the Colossians. He was very helpful in ministry, but he said, I recognize that Philemon, you needed to be involved in this. And so in verse number 14 there, he says, I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. And he wanted Philemon's goodness to be of free will, not by force. But I like what he says in verse 15. He says, for this is perhaps why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. This is a perhaps. It's kind of, I don't think Paul is thinking perhaps. I think Paul is certain of this. He sees God's hand in all of this, but he's saying, you know, maybe will Philemon see it this way? Maybe this is why all of these events transpired so that he could be brought back to you. And notice what he says, so that you might have him forever. So then we see down in verse number 17, this promise then to repay the brother. He says in verse 17, if you consider me your partner, and that word partner is again the word koinonia or koinonos, if you consider me your fellow shipper, your, your fellow partner, your, your uh, uh, partic- a mutual participate, a participant in the faith, he says, then receive him as you would receive me. I want you to receive him not as a runaway slave who's come home, but as the apostle Paul himself. Receive him as you would receive me. And he says, I'll repay whatever debt Onesimus owes you. And I like how he says this. Whenever you say not to mention something, you're mentioning it. And so, But what he says is, well, not to mention that you owe me. I'm not going to bring it up that you owe me, Philemon. But it, whenever, whenever he returns, if he owes you anything then I'll repay it. And he says, I write this with my own hand. I guarantee it. I, Paul, am going to take care. I will repay whatever loss, not to mention that you owe me yourself. And then he says, and then we see in verse 20 and 21, a chance to refresh the brother. Paul would count this as a favor, a benefit, if Philemon would, 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 uh, would receive him. But notice how he says it in verse 20, refresh my heart. Just as you've refreshed other people, Just as you have refreshed the hearts of the saints, now refresh me, a fellow saint, a fellow brother, concerning this new brother, Onesimus. And Paul is confident, he says in verse 21 as he goes on, we don't know how Philemon responded, but Paul seemed very confident that not only would he do as Paul asked, but he would go beyond what Paul had asked. And then he finishes up with with some with some uh, uh, final visits. He planned to visit him and then uh, fellow greetings. But then notice at the very end, he finishes it with a final blessing of grace. Because once again, we are in need of grace. This situation must be bathed in grace. And it begins as it, en- it ends as it began with grace for the believers. Because it, and as uh, Mark uh, uh, Maynell says, it proves that grace is the power to change any situation. Now, this the application in in three minutes. We don't know how Onesimus responded to this. I'm sorry, how Philemon responded to this. Would he receive Onesimus? Would he free him from being a slave? 
it seems that Paul was in, intending, implying that, receive him no longer as a bondservant, but as a brother? Would he worship with him in church, in this house church? Would, would Onesimus be welcomed into this church that was housed in Philemon's house? Would he be an equal? Now not a bondservant, but as a brother in Christ? We don't know what Philemon did, but Paul was sure convinced that he would do this and more. But most of us, if not, if not all of us, are never going to find ourselves in a situation quite like Philemon's. But I do think it's possible for us to draw an application by seeing ourselves in each of these three men. This uh, 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 letter uh, quote here, this letter stands as a model for approaching social concerns which grow out of the transformed life of a Christian. So very quickly, I want to cover these, and then tonight I want to take some more time and, and, and go through these. But first, seeing me as Onesimus. And this may be the, the, the primary uh, application as we, as we really understand what the gospel is all about. Because and when I see myself in Onesimus, I recognize that I am the offender, and I am the one who needs grace. I am the one who who disobeyed. I am the one who went astray and ran away. And, and I am the one who sinned against somebody else. And I stand in need of grace and forgiveness and reconciliation. And that's what the gospel is. The gospel is the good news that you can be forgiven, that you can have grace, that you can be restored by Christ. And Paul here beautifully symbolizes Jesus as the one who reconciles sinners back to God and brings them back into, uh, into fellowship with one another. We see it in the fact that he voluntarily pays Onesimus' debt for him. Philemon, you're not going to be out. He's not going to get away with it. I will pay the debt, anything that he owes you. And that's exactly what Christ did. And when I see myself as Onesimus, I recognize I don't deserve to be standing here. And when I stand before God, I deserve his, his pure wrath and his punishment because I have rebelled. I have rejected his laws. I have rejected all of the good things that he has, that he has graciously given to us. But if I escape that judgment, it is because somebody else offered grace. Somebody else took my place, and that's Jesus Christ. This letter vividly illustrates our relationship with Christ. We who are in desperate need of grace and acceptance. But secondly, we see ourselves as Philemon. At some times, we might find ourselves as the one needing to show grace to the offender. And that's where I begin to see many of the, the correlations in Matthew 18, where a brother offends us, and it is our obligation now to show grace and restoration to them. And we may need to ask how God wants us to have a change of heart and respond appropriately to those who sin against us. And then lastly, my seeing myself as Paul. Helping to bring others back in fellowship. Putting Matthew 18 into practice. That's, that's the, the work of the local church here is we, we do life together and, and, and people get offended and people get hurt and people sin against one another and we do what we can to pray for them and to, and to, to teach them and to help them reconcile their relationships. We are all Onesimus in our, in our standing with Jesus. We may often be like Philemon in our relationship with others. 
But we must also strive to be like Paul, who modeled the love and graciousness of Christ by reconciling broken relationships and restoring brothers and sisters within the family of God. And as Paul finishes his letter, we'll finish. May God give us grace and peace to be able to do this.